Once again, I want to take the opportunity to introduce our speaker for this weekend. His name is Andrew Itson, and he is one of the, the preaching ministers at the Madison Church of Christ in Madison, Alabama. I, I keep saying one of the, and that might sound a little interesting, because at the Madison Church, they have two preaching ministers who alternate taking turns in the pulpit. It's a, it's a unique uh, situation that they have there, and, and it's quite intriguing. <laughs> Just saying. Anyway. <laughs> I've known Andrew for, for uh, many years now. He, he and I both uh, ministered on the Gulf Coast at the, uh, for about three or four years and had the opportunity of going over and, and speaking at his congregation and he coming over and speaking, speaking at uh, the one which I worked. And uh, Sarah and I had a couple of occasions where we were just able to take a, a vacation while at home. Like we just took a, a weekend off and stayed at home. And on those weekends, I would travel over to Robertsdale to just worship with them and hear Andrew speak. And they were wonderful opportunities for me because he's such a dynamic uh, speaker. And we even have a picture of Micah and his oldest son, Cruz, together when uh, I guess she was three and he was two or something like that. And um, they were a little close to each other for my comfort. Um, <laughs> but in all honesty... Uh, it, <laughs> In all honesty, there wouldn't be a better family to be connected with. Um, just a couple of details about Andrew very quickly. Uh, he's worked at the Madison Congregation, the Robertsdale, Alabama Congregation, as well as the University Church of Christ in Montgomery. Uh, he has a master's from Faulkner University and a Ph.D. in leadership in ministry and religion from the University of the Cumberlands. And it's been a wonderful weekend to have Andrew here. He'll speak now and then one more time after lunch. And uh, we look forward to hearing him at this time talk about one baptism. When I was 13 years old, I told my dad that I wanted to be baptized. And so he did what a lot of dads or leaders in the church will do. He took me uh, in, into uh, the dining room. We opened up the Bible and we began to study. And after that study, I said, yes, I, I want to be baptized. And so I decided I want to do it on, on the Wednesday night that was coming up. And by the way, it was interesting that you mentioned Brandon, who he and I worked together as preaching ministers at Madison. The very first person I called when I wanted to be baptized was my youth minister, Brandon Presnell. So it's kind of interesting how time eventually brings you back together. And so I called him and I said, I want to be baptized. And I said, my dad's going to do it, but I want to make sure you're there. And, and so I walked down that aisle on a Wednesday night and dad walked behind me. He took my confession in front of the congregation and we went to the back room to get ready. And you know, there's always those uh, rooms that you usually have bef right before you walk into the baptistry where you get the little garment that you never wear again uh, on. And, and there's those different stacks of towels. And so we went down into the baptistry and he baptized me. And right after we got out of the baptistry, we climbed up the steps and went back down and he got one of those towels and he wrapped it around me. And he said, son, I want to tell you, I am so, so proud of you. But then this is what he said next. But I want you to understand, you're at times going to mess up. I was like, really? Like, that's what you got? <laughs> you just told me you're proud of me and what is the greatest moment of my life. And you said, by the way, I want you to know, there are going to be times that you're going to mess up. And at that time, I didn't understand or really fully appreciate what he said because when he says to me, hey, son, you're not going to be perfect. You are going to mess up. 
in my mind, I got to tell you what I thought, you're wrong. Because I really believe this. I was like, you know, Dad, I, I got this. And, and, and I'll have to tell you guys, for a few hours, I did got this. I remember that right after the baptism, I walked down to the front, and what happened there is what happens usually after most baptisms. You have a line of people hugging you. I mean, it feels so good, doesn't it? To see your brothers and sisters in Christ celebrating with you, hugging your neck. And then I go home, and I have to tell you all, for like 24 hours, I was a great son. But then I started to notice in myself something maybe you've noticed in yourself too, is that sometimes a little bit of that selfishness still came to the surface. And so what I would try to do was try to fix me, and, and, and I was, well, I'm just going to grin my teeth and, and try to work better at this and to do better. And, and I did for a while, and then I would go back and sometimes do some of the very things that I said I wasn't going to do. And I was like, well, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to try to help myself and fix myself. And, I, and round and round and round and round and round I went. I don't know if that's anybody else's story in here. But I, I think what happened to me is maybe what happens to some of you is, is we know a lot of the teachings when it comes to baptism. And we should. We also know that baptism was a precedent that was set by Jesus Christ himself. And we need to know that too. But I do think sometimes we forget that baptism is also a picture of the gospel story and there's also power that comes along with it. And so what I want to do today is this, kind of what I've done with every single message, is look at kind of like the behind the scenes of each and every one of these fundamental things that we've grown up hearing and talking about faith, hope, the one body, one baptism. And so today as we talk about one baptism, that's exactly what I want to do is, is I, I do want to talk about the fact that it is the precedent of Christ and that's why we are baptized. And I want to talk about that it's, yes, a teaching that God gives us in his word, but it's even more than that. Because maybe you're like me, you found yourself trying to keep yourself afloat, but you wear out, you get tired. Because I need someone more than me, and I need something God's word more than me in my own ear. And so, yes, part of the reason why we do baptize is it was the example and the precedent of Christ. You see it in Matthew and in Mark. You remember the moment when John was down at the uh, River Church of Christ and he was baptizing people one after another. And while he's baptizing folks, he looks up and notices that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gets in his baptism line. And so while he's baptizing, little by little, Jesus gets closer and closer and we don't know what John's thinking, but part of me thinks, based on his response in just a moment, that he's thinking, oh man, this is incredible. What's going to happen in just a second? Jesus is going to baptize me. And I mean, can I, I mean, this is going to be amazing. Like when I go into the wilderness and I'm eating locusts and honey with my buddies, I'm going to show my baptismal certificate. It's going to be signed by the Son of God. I mean, this is going to be awesome. So Jesus gets to John and John is baptizing. And Jesus says to John, I want you to baptize me. And John's thinking, no, that's, this is opposite of what it's supposed to be. He's like, no, that... Just as you are called to be obedient, I'm called to be obedient too. 
And so here's what the Bible says, that they go down into the water. He goes down into the water and, and he is baptized. And heaven rips open and says, this is my what? My son, and I am well pleased. I think for parents, we get that when he says, this is my son, because anytime you see your children doing something that you've always wanted them to do, you see them stepping into what you raised them to be, doesn't it give you joy? That's what he's feeling. Heaven rips open in a very rare occurrence and says, this is my son, because the son is being obedient to the will of the father. But then we also believe in baptism and we baptize because, yes, it's the teaching of the Bible. You remember in Acts 8 when Philip was noticing that there's this man that the Bible says was an Ethiopian eunuch. And there's two details about this man that help us to understand the importance and the urgency of baptism, that he was reading this scroll in his chariot and he didn't understand what he was reading. So Philip joins him and helps explain to him what he's reading, which was evidently a, obviously a, a prophecy about Jesus Christ. But I have to tell you, the fact that this man is in a chariot and that he has a scroll tells you a few things. The fact that he's in a chariot lets you know he's wealthy. That anytime anybody could use a chariot during this day, it, it meant that they had money. But if they were in a chariot, that also meant that they were going somewhere. And they were trying to get somewhere quickly. They had plans where they wanted to be, what they wanted to do. But then also because he had access to a scroll, which is something that most people didn't have. You had to go somewhere else to let someone else read it to you. This man had a lot of influence. So he was going somewhere. He was doing something important. But what's interesting is what trumped his plans was the plan of God as it's read to him and explained to him. And somewhere along in the, in the middle of that conversation, he says, hey, you just talked about baptism. Here's water. What, what stops me from being baptized? And he says, well, nothing. So he and Philip go down into the water, the Bible says, and he's baptized. You go to Acts chapter 10. It says that Cornelius was commanded by Peter he and his family to be baptized. That word command, I think we understand it carries weight, but to the audience that's reading it during this day, it's that same word sacramentum, which is something you do not change. It's something that's solid. And, and so he and his family make that decision. And by the way, for those of you that get, try to get your kids to bed at night, it is, I, I told you all last night, there's a lot of stuff I can't give you advice on. One of those is bedtime. I am the worst at bedtime. All these parents, I, whoever you are, I'm, you're, you're very impressive when you are like, yeah, we get our kids to bed by 8. I'm like, 8? How do you do that? I guess my kids just walk all over me. and it, we, Bedtime lasts for us like two hours. It's, a, it's, it's an event. Um, and so if, if you get your kids to bed and then you wake them up, like, it would be easy to say, well, let's just do this in the morning. But he makes the decision to wake them up in the middle of the night and do this. Jesus, right before he ascends, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. And as you go, I want you to preach about me. I want you to teach about me and the power of me. And I want you to go into all the world baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as you do this, I want you to understand I'm going to be with you. It's not just the Bible that backs up this fact. I think about well-known scholars and teachers, ones like F.F. F. Bruce, he says this, the idea of an unbaptized Christian is simply not entertained in the New Testament. 
It's not a personal choice, but this is a divine command. Spurgeon said this, nothing is more plainly taught in the New Testament than it is the duty of every single believer to be baptized. So yes, it is the precedent that was set by Christ. It was the teaching of the Bible. And I have to tell you, at the age of 13, I knew those two things. But if you were with us in the lesson this morning, one of the things that we talked about, because we look at why a lot of times the 18 to the 25 to 30 year old range falls away from the church. And I share with you my thoughts on when I was a campus minister, what I saw was there was a lot of students that came into our campus ministry as freshmen. They knew the, the Bible. They could point to the verses, but here was the issue. They knew the teachings, but they didn't know the teacher. And the reason why this is a really big deal is that we all know in life that it is very easy to change your mind. It's really easy over time to change your opinion on something. And the importance of knowing the teacher more than just knowing the teachings is this, that it's really easy to change your mind. It's really easy to walk away from information but it's awfully hard to walk away from a person. And if we know who that person is, Jesus Christ, and the power that he brings with it to that baptismal pool, that's when we'll start to see that life truly changed. And so what I want to do is this, is I, I, I'm a visual learner, and I, I learn by seeing things. And so I want to give you this example, and, and this is, I've used this before, but I'm missing a part of, of this illustration, but we're going to go with it for just a second. Woo, that didn't go well. All right. And you're not about to get a balloon animal. I'm not talented. All right. All right. So right after I was baptized... Here's kind of how I felt like I was going through life. This balloon is me. I was trying my best to keep me afloat. I was trying to obey. And so when I failed and I would start to, you know, get tired, I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to try harder. And then I would start to think, all right, well, no, no, I'm just going to obey better. I'm just going to do better at going all the right places, doing all the right things. I'm going to say much better things. Now, let me ask you, as I'm keeping this balloon in the air, what did all the things I just said have in common? I heard it, yeah, me. It's about me keeping me up, me keeping me afloat. And y'all know how this, like, can you imagine doing this your whole life? It what? It gets tired, right? And if I had with me a, a small helium tank, which I don't, and the reason is, is helium's very expensive. I found out, I went to Walmart, went to get one, I was like, I love you guys, but I'm not about to drop $50 just for an illustration that you can come up with in your mind. And so if I had a helium tank, I would put that balloon up to that helium tank and I would tie it up and I would let it go. And what would happen? It would shoot to the ceiling. What was the difference in, in the two of those? Well, this one was filled with whose air? It was filled with me. And the, way, the reason it was able to stay up because I was focused on my own power, that wears out. But in order for me to be what I need to be, I have to have someone more than me. And I have to have something, God's word, to help me to be what I need to be. I can't do it on my own. When I said to dad, I got this, 
I learned very quickly, and you've all probably learned very quickly what? We don't got this. That we need something that is God's word, and we need someone to help us to get where we need to go. So what I want to do today is, is this. I, I, being that I am a visual learner, and, and I'm, I'm hoping this might help, is I want to talk about part of the two reasons why baptism is so critically important is number one, because it's also a participation in the gospel. Yes, it's the teaching of the Bible. Yes, it's the precedent of Christ, but it's also a picture of the gospel. But there's also power that comes along with it. And so I'm going to try to explain how the Bible shows very clearly that baptism is a picture of the gospel by drawing something out for you. Now, I've got to give you a few disclaimers. The reason why I picked this is whenever I study the Bible with people that are not Christians, this is oftentimes, depending on where they're at, what I choose to do. It, I think it maybe might help them to see something than just to hear a, a, uh, some teaching or something like that. So I draw it out. So when I'm sharing this with you, please understand this is meant more for a Bible study, not really this. The second thing is this, my handwriting is terrible and I know it. So I want you to know that I know that you know that my handwriting is awful and I'm going to draw a lamb and it is the worst lamb you're going to see in just a second. Um, the other thing I want to tell you about what I'm about to share with you is this is not perfect. That when you look at it, you would think, well, if I were him, I would add this or I would add that. And, and I would say, this is not the way, this is a way. The other thing is that I usually have more scriptures in between, but we don't have for the sake of time the opportunity to go through it to this degree. And the other thing I want to end with is I know not everybody can see this. I thought about saying if you have poor eyesight, sit in the first four rows, but I know that would be difficult. So on live stream later, you can watch this to a greater degree or, or take a picture. But my whole overall purpose is this, for all of us and, and those that I study with, and, and for me, I feel like the part that I was missing is that baptism was not just something new that God came up with in the New Testament. It is a picture of the whole Bible in the gospel story. So let me illustrate it. Let's use this pen. The Bible, it has two books, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. But sometimes we say that, but in reality, it's not two books, it's one book with two different chapters. The, the word testament comes from the word testimony, and a testimony, if you've ever watched any NCIS or um, any FBI shows, it's the story that the person tells that's seen something. They've known something. This is the story of what God did before, and this is the story of what God is doing right now. So even though it's two books, it is still one story. Now, when we get here to the Old Testament, one of the things that we know is that right after God created everything else he created mankind and the two first humans were who adam and eve and when he created them he said this about them that they are very what they were very good and and so he created these two humans and you know what he did he gave them a very simple way to do life here's the commands he gave them i want you to love me that's god love god and i want you to love each other. You know, take care of each other, take care of the creation that I've given you. The only thing that I ask for you not to do is to eat of what? This tree. Well, I used to struggle with this because I was like, well, if you're 
not wanting me to eat of it, don't put it there. Like, why put a tree there if you're telling me not to eat it? Well, here's why. Because God is a good God. Because this tree, to me, it represents free will. Free will is the ability for you to reason and decide. How many of you at the age of 16 would have liked for your parents to tell you who you were going to marry? Now, some of you parents, I wish they would have, but... No, you didn't want someone else to tell you who you were going to marry. You wanted to what? You wanted to choose. So God is saying, listen, I'm not going to force you into a relationship with me. I'm not creating some robots. I'm going to let you choose because love is oftentimes the most powerful when it's chosen, right? And so he said, you can choose me or you can choose something else. Free will is awesome, isn't it? That we have the ability to reason and decide and to pick who we love, to pick who we marry. But here's the issue with free will. When we choose wrong, what happens? Sin enters into the world. And, and I, I used to think, well, God, why didn't you create a world without sin? And to which he would probably answer, well, I did. But, but I gave you the ability to reason and decide, and you chose wrong. Sin came to this world. So the Bible is this story that revolves around dealing with this issue. And, and so it shows very quickly that man had a very big sin problem right before you get to the flood. And if you remember, right before the flood, God had told Noah that I want you to build a boat because I'm going to destroy this earth. And what a lot of times people think of as an act of vengeance I see it as an act of grace. Because did that boat come over, show up overnight? How many years did it take him to build that? Over a hundred years. Every single one of those years is a picture of God's grace. Every time he nailed something to that gopher wood that was giving people around that were asking questions, hey, what are you building? A boat for what? A flood? A what? For what are you talking about? Like, well, this is a great time to have a conversation. You need to repent. You need to change. This was 100 years of God's grace. So don't tell me grace is just a New Testament idea. Grace is a God idea. And he's been that way from the very beginning. And so what God did is he looked down at this earth. And please understand, pre-flood, that people, if you read about what was happening, they were killing each other, they were hurting each other. There was this spiral of sin that they were living in. And, and so a good, gracious God would cease to be good if he just stood by the side and did nothing. But instead, what he did, he said, no, I want you to build this ark. You're going to build this boat, and, and I'm going to flood the earth to start over so, so other future people don't have to deal with the same consequences of all these other people's poor decisions. And when he did, that water, it wiped away the sin off the face of that earth. But here's the issue. Noah and his family, they get off that boat, and guess what happens? Well, something weird happens, and we won't get into that. But here's what I do know happens. Sin comes back into the world again. It didn't take very long, did it? It's kind of like that balloon, trying to keep yourself afloat, trying to keep yourself going. And so in, in, in the issue that they had with sin, here's what the people did is oftentimes what we do, and we talked about in night one, whenever we have an insecurity about something, what we choose to do next with that insecurity can oftentimes lead to what? Idolatry. So they look around and they say, hey God, we notice that all these other kingdoms and people have a king, this earthly king. We, we want a king. And God answered them, I am your what? I am your king. 
But they said, no, 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 we want a king. It's kind of neat how they have these kings. And, and God knows exactly what he knows about us. And it's this, that sometimes we don't learn a lesson until we have to live it out. It's kind of like the prodigal son when he said, hey, dad, I want my money. He's like, man, this guy's going to blow it. I know he is. But you know what? Here you go. And so he let them fall on their face, and they had these kings. And I remember when I was in Sunday morning Bible school, we had one of those charts and graphs of all the kings in the Bible. Were most of them evil or good? Evil. I mean, it was bad after bad after. Read First and Second Kings. I mean, so did kings fix the sin problem, earthly ones? No. All right, God then sent these guys and girls called judges. And in these judges... A judge is somebody that defines and talks about the difference between right and wrong. And so they told what was right and wrong, but did the people listen to the judges? Did it fix the issue of sin? Absolutely not. And, and one of the reasons why I know it didn't fix the issue of sin is at the very beginning and end of every single one of the chapters in Judges it says this, and the people again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Did judges fix the sin problem? No. Well, then he sent this group of people called prophets. And prophets, they're not fortune tellers, they're messengers. Prophets are people that say, hey, listen, something good and someone good is coming. You need to listen. You need to change. You need to repent. Some people listen, but at the end of the day, did those earthly prophets fix the sin problem? No. And so because the people had this sin problem, any time that they sinned, one of the things that they were asked to do was to build a what? An altar. And here's your bad lamb. Looking. All right, we'll just go with it. All right. Um, this, I'm being very vulnerable right now. Um, but they would put this lamb on the altar. And what do you remember about some of the facts of that lamb? What had to be what? Pure? Had to be spotless. And in fact, in Malachi, it, it says that when people tried to bring like the lesser lamb, that God didn't tolerate it. He said he what? He hated it. So anytime people sinned, and every year they would put that lamb on the altar and that, that blood would go down and cleanse their sins. And I, I was talking to my son Cruz about this the other day, this whole situation. I said, let me tell you, son, if, if I lived during this day, I would have killed a lot of sheep. <laughs> but the reality is I think we all would have. So this was the Old Testament in a nutshell. But what's still the problem? Sin. So we get to the New Testament. And God doesn't decide to send somebody else. He sends himself. And he sends to this earth Jesus. You know, Jesus had a lot of names, right? He was Lamb of what? God. He was called Righteous. He was a, a prophet, people called him. They also called him a king. That sound familiar? You see the connection? All of what failed before Jesus Christ himself was. And so when Jesus came to this earth, he was asked by the religious leaders, hey, if you don't mind, could you tell us what is the greatest commandment of all? They were trying to trick him, weren't they? 
And he said, well, you can sum up the greatest commandment in these two things is to what? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And then what? Love your neighbor, each other. Does that sound familiar? Go back to the very beginning. You read Leviticus, you're like, why in the world are there 600 and something commands? Let me tell you why. God didn't really give those. Man had to create those. That God gave them a simple way to do life. If you love me and you love other people, everything else is going to take care of itself. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's calling us back to the simplicity of what he established in the very beginning. So when Jesus came to this earth, we'll call this Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He was pure. He was spotless. But of course, as we know, Jesus... He went to that cross and he put all the sin on him. Now think back to when my dad said, hey, you're you're not going to be perfect. You know what? He was right, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, even though I'm not going to be perfect, it's an interesting dynamic, I'm perfected. And how am I perfected? Well, because all of what should have been credited to my account was credited to Jesus. And so, of course, after Jesus died, he was put in a what? A tomb. And he didn't stay in that tomb. Three days later, what happened? He rose from the dead. You're like, okay, what in the world does that have to do with me? Well, it turns out it has a lot to do with you. And I've got to cover a lot of ground. Romans 6, he says, What do we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized in his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised by the dead, from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk with him in newness of life. And he says, so if you can be united with him in a death like this, You will be united with him in a resurrection like this, knowing that the old self is being crucified so the body of sin can be brought to nothing and will be no longer slaves to sin. So he says, well, the question, well, how can we be united? Well, this is us. And when God created us, when we were born, we were were pure, we were spotless, but then we had this, what, this, whoop, there it is, free will. He gave us the ability to choose, to reason, and decide. And when we did, guess what happened? Sin comes in on, into our lives. And so we, we have all of this sin, right, that's all over us. But he says that just as you have been baptized into Christ, you have been raised to walk in newness of life. And just as Jesus went into a tomb, we too go into this watery grave called baptism. And all of that sin that's on us, just like he did in the Old Testament, is is washed away. And, of course, we don't stay in that water, do we? We are raised. And and speaking of that water, it comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse and plunge. And I had a buddy that went to Greece on a study abroad, and when he was there on the study abroad, that was the same time that the cruise ship sunk. Do you all remember that? Do you know what the headline was? Cruise ship baptizo. So Greeks understand that when you talk about baptism, it is immersion because that's their language. They know it. And so 
were raised to walk in newness of life. Well, after you come out of that watery grave of baptism, Acts 2 says a few things that happen to you. One of those is this. You're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, would you rather have Christ here or over there or right here? I'll tell you, right here, because wherever you go, guess where he is? He's there. And we're going to talk about that gift he gives us. The second thing is this. We're added, it says in Acts 2, to his family, the church. The church is not a building. It's not where you pray. It's the people who pray. We are the church. When you leave this building, you are the church. And and that's why we talked about earlier what James says. We're called to that higher standard. And also, all of our sins, they've been wiped away. So this is just a little bit of the picture of that gospel story, but there's the other part that we talked about. There's what that comes with it. There's power. In Acts 2.38, he says, repent and be baptized and you will receive the what? Gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever read how God talks about gifts? In Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, if an evil father knows how to give good gifts, how much more does it? Do I know how to give good gifts? So when God ever says he gives a gift, please understand that it's something special. And and so there's this power that also comes with our baptism. It's not just that we're saved from something. We're also saved to something. And that's a whole new life. Because I I can't keep myself afloat. And it turns out you can't either. One of the ways I like to think about it, and I know this might seem silly, is Back to the Future, Doc, Dr. Emmett Brown creates a time machine that goes back in time, and Marty McFly hops on it, and they go back in time. And when they go back in time, do you remember something about Marty? He stands out. He acts different. He talks different. Why does Marty act different? Why does Marty talk different? Well, I'll tell you why Marty does those things. It's because Marty knows something about the future. And when you are a person of the future, it impacts how you live right now, doesn't it? And so knowing that we aren't just riding this thing out and then we're done, knowing that there's something eternal about us and we have God with us because we know something, because we've seen something, because we've experienced something, it impacts how we live today. It's kind of like when you hear a president-elect, that when a person is elected to the office of president, even though they're not sitting at that desk, what do you notice that starts to happen? They're given money to start instituting some of their policies. They're given secret service. Uh, They are uh, already starting to have their cabinet. They're not sitting at the desk, but they're living as if they are. The same thing with, with David. We talked about him last night that when David was anointed to be king, had he sat on the throne yet? No. What I'm saying is this, that you don't have to have a throne to live a kingdom life. We don't have to just wait for heaven to start living a kingdom life. The word kingdom, you know what it means? is the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. That's happening right now. That's what we're living in. And and not only did, did David experience this, but Israel did. Think about it for a second. Israel was called children... And they hadn't done anything yet. Jesus had done no healings, no preaching, no cross, but he was still called a son. What does that have to do with anything? Well, one of my issues I had before was obeying. 
doing what God had called me to, but I didn't see that the salvation that I had was what was giving me the power to obey. We often think the opposite. That if I obey, then I'll have salvation. But that's not how it works. Once you have salvation, then you know you have the power to obey. I'll give you a few examples. The Ten Commandments. Sometimes we'll tell the Ten Commandments like, you know, if you do these ten things, you'll be saved. They were saved before God gave the Ten Commandments. He says, you are saved because you are saved. It gives you the power to obey. Uh, Think about the Beatitudes for just a second. I, I used to even teach the Beatitudes like, you know, you will be blessed if you're poor in spirit. And you will be blessed if you mourn with those who mourn. And you will be blessed if you're meek. That's not the way that they're written. They're written, blessed are. He's saying you are blessed. Because he knows us, and if you continue to read that Sermon on the Mount, he knows you and I cannot live out the commands in that Sermon on the Mount until we receive a blessing. Until we know we are blessed people. There was a a couple I was counseling with that was going through a really difficult time and we were trying to figure out what what is going on, why is it the way it is. Long story short, we ended up finding out that the reason why he was having such a difficult time in this marriage is when he went to her dad and asked for her hand in marriage, he said, no. But guess what? He married her anyway. And so here's what happened to him because he never received the blessing. Anytime he messed up because he's human and he will, what was he thinking? Man, he was right. I'm I'm not made to be a husband. I'm not meant to do this. He was always thinking over his shoulder. Anytime he messed up, which he did, all because he didn't receive a what? A blessing. We've been blessed is what Jesus has said. So go be meek. Be merciful. Go comfort others in their affliction because you have been blessed to be able to obey. But also think about that baptism and knowing the power in it, kind of going back to what we're talking about with the future now, that because we've been baptized, the promises that come with it are not something for later. There's something that God gives us today. And I wish I had more time to get into that, but... Here's where we want to start, and and I only have a few minutes left, or actually I have no minutes left. I'm in negative seven minutes. Um, So once you've put on Christ, and your preach is going to seem really short now um, after this, so my bad, Kyle. Um, What do you do? Well, once you've been baptized, I want you just to start where you are. That was what God's command was, and that's what was just read today. All right, when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come to you, Here's what you're going to do. You're going to be my witnesses. And witnessing, by the way, is not something you do. It's what you are. Well, I don't want to be one. Well, too bad. You are a living, breathing witness. Every single one of us in this room are casting shadows of influence. Some of those are by accident. People we bump into, they're standing in your shadow. Some of those are people you choose to be around. Some of those are in your mere proximity. They live next door. Someone is always standing in your shadow. What are they standing in? So we're always being an example to somebody. And he said, here's where you're going to start, Jerusalem. When they heard this, where were they? Jerusalem. So he's saying, what I want you to do is I want you to start in Buford. And and then once you've reached out and and shown love to Buford, then I want you to go out to Atlanta. And, And then I want you to go to the southeast. And then I want you to continue to go to the nations. 
wash, rinse, repeat. He said, I want you to start where you are, and, and I want you to move your way out. And then the next thing he says is this, that I want you to grab hold of what you already have, right? He says, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when it's come upon you. He said, you don't have to grab for something else you already have. It's here. Now, it's one of, to me, one of the most interesting moments is what was read earlier. Jesus is like, all right, here's the command, guys. Go out in all the world, preach the gospel, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power. You got to, and then he just, you know, goes up into heaven. He goes up, and the Bible says that they were stuck what? Staring. And I, I, it evidently was a long time, and, and they're, they're talking, and like, and do you see him? No, I don't see him. The sun's in my eye. You know, cliche there, uh, but play on words. But um, that they're looking up, and, and they, they can't see him anymore to the point that he's vanished from their sight. And they were staring so long that God had to tap two angels on the shoulder and said, can you go down there and talk to them? What are they doing? I just told them what to do, but yet they're just stuck staring. And so the angels, they, you know, zoom down. And they're like, men of Galilee, what are you doing? Son of God, you went up somewhere a minute ago. Okay, did, didn't he tell you what to do? Yeah. Then stop staring. Isn't that us? Like, what are we waiting on? Because here's what happens. The moment you stop staring is the moment we all start growing. Because look what happened. The moment they stop staring, they go from 11 to 12 when they cast lots for Matthias. They go from 12 to 70, 70 to 3,000 at least, 5,000 at least. Do you see what's happening? 11 to 12 to 70 to 3,000 to 5,000. We have got to stop staring. And, and the moment that we stop staring is the moment that we all start growing. He's like, grab hold of what you have. I've given it to you. You've got the commands. You've got the word. Go. Start where you are and start moving your way out. Here's the third thing is this. is to live as if we're people from the future. Now, we're going to talk about being hopeful people in the next message. And I, I love this text because we talked about it last night, about how this group of people were so sacrificial. And part of the reason they knew to be sacrificial is they did life together. We can't expect to accomplish kingdom life two hours a week. And they knew that. And we have to know it too. And so day by day, they were in the temple together. They were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God and they had favor with all the people. That's what it looks like to live as if we are people from the future. If you continue to watch the movie Back to the Future, when Marty gets out of that DeLorean... Kind of reminds me of me, because at first he did really well. He was acting different. He was talking different. Why? Because he knows stuff. Because he's a person of the future. But what was interesting is the longer he was away from, after getting that DeLorean and he started being around other people, Marty forgot who he was when he stepped out of that DeLorean. But when Jesus, he stepped out of that watery grave of baptism, here's what's amazing about him, he never did. That's my prayer for you in your baptism, is, is that you never, ever forget who you are. That, that we baptize because it's a teaching of the Bible. We baptize because it's the precedent that was set before us by Jesus Christ. 
but we also baptize because it's a picture of the gospel story, but we also baptize because there's power that comes with it. Maybe there's some of you out there this morning that are they're like that, you're tired. You've been trying to keep you afloat. That's not the way God designed it. That's not the way God made it. And you know you need to grow deeper into that relationship with him. Maybe there's some of you that have never taken God up on this offer to join with him in, in, in what is being united with him in a death like this so we can be united with him in a resurrection like this. That maybe for some of you, you want to make that decision today to put on Christ in baptism. I pray that you'll walk down this aisle and you'll make that decision right now today and, and let Christ give you his Holy Spirit to be added to his forever family, the church, and have all of your sins forgiven. So whatever it is that you have a need of, please come while we stand and we sing this song.